0: Hey everyone, I'm Tim. Kenzie, was that good enough? Can I give you this? Thanks bro. Um, We're in John chapter 11 today and this story takes place partly in the town of Bethany and I just found out today, Pete, that it's Bethany's 11th birthday. Who could have planned that? Pete? Oh, Jesus did, yeah. Jesus is sovereign. Yeah, that's right. He's in control. Uh, I don't I don't often get to come here, so it's good to be with you today. Uh, I reckon we should get straight into it. Now, uh, we're all probably familiar with the saying, there's two constants in life, death and taxes. And we all laugh, the funny bits of taxes, haha, the tax man always gets his cut, we can't get away from him. But it's kind of a morbid saying, isn't it? yeah. We all will one day face death. That is a constant. We can't get around it. Each of us will face death. And it's often quite terrifying because, well, we don't know what's going to happen afterwards. It's the ultimate unknown. I was part of a church that uh, once surveyed the community around them. They had a real short survey. It's just one question. They asked, if you could ask God any one question, any question at all, what would it be? What would you ask God? Overwhelmingly, the top response was, What happens after we die? For most people, they have no idea what faces them, none whatsoever, and they desperately wish they could know. So many have tried to come up with answers over time. For example, the atheist says, After death, there's nothing. That's it. <laughs> Done. No afterlife, no reincarnation. We're just made up of electrons and protons and, and that's about it. There's no soul, there's no spirit to survive after death. You're just here one moment and you are gone the next. But that's not a very satisfying answer, is it? That that doesn't satisfy us at all. So so we look somewhere else. And people will often turn to religion. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're in a church to find out what happens after we die. Well, today was a good day to come. Some religions would say, uh, we're reincarnated, we die but we're born again into this world, into some other life in this world and we get to live all over again. Others will say, no, we die and our spirit or our essence or our soul or something goes to heaven and we get uh, halos and we get wings and we get harps uh, and we enjoy that unless we're not good enough. And then we go down to the hot place where we get to party with all our friends endlessly who were not good enough for heaven. But for many people, they just don't know and they don't think we can know, so they give up. What's the point in trying? If, if I can't know, why would I bother to look for answers out there? How can we know if any of this is true? Well, what if I said that we could know, that we could have definitive proof, we could be confident... Of what happens after this life? What if we met the God who created the world, who created life and created us? Surely He could tell us what happens after this life, He made life. Or what if we met someone who was an expert, and by expert I mean He's done it, died, been to the other side, come back and could tell us. What if we met someone like that? Surely they would know and would let us know. Well in John chapter 11, We meet both. We meet both of these people. God himself speaks and he tells us what comes after and then God demonstrates that death is not the end by raising a dead man back to life. Now, this is a truly astounding chapter of the Bible and so I urge you to pay really close attention to what it says. It's a matter of life and death and it's a matter of life after death. So how about I pray and ask for God's help? Father God, please be with us now as we listen to your word. Please help me to speak the truth. Please help us all to be willing to hear you speak to us. Show us who you are and show us your glory and help us to see that we can be confident of life after this. Amen. All right. Well, straight away in verse 1, we meet Lazarus who is sick. And that sets us up to expect something from Jesus. We expect that Jesus will heal this man Jesus has already healed a bunch of people and this sounds like a pretty good opportunity for Jesus to again show his power and his authority in the other healings Jesus didn't know the people but here Jesus knows Lazarus in verse 5 it tells us that Jesus even loves Lazarus and his sisters so when we hear what Jesus says in verse 4 it's not too surprising Jesus says This sickness will not end in death. It really sounds like Jesus is going to heal this guy. And that's great. Except one big problem. Jesus waits two days before leaving. Jesus waits till Lazarus is dead before getting up and going to see him. Why does Jesus hang around? Surely he'd get up and go straight away to heal him. Why does he let him suffer and die before leaving? Well, I have two reasons. I think this chapter gives us two reasons why Jesus waits. The first one is in verse 4. So how about you keep your Bibles open to John chapter 11 and we'll look at verse 4 together. When he heard this, that is, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus waits for the sake of God's glory. Jesus waits so that God might be glorified and not just God but God's Son which is Jesus. Usually when John talks about God's glory he's not talking about something that we give to God like we have some glory and we give it to God and now God has more glory and we need to give all our glory to God so that God has all the glory. That's not not the thing John is talking about. What John means is that God's glory will be revealed. It's like the doors to heaven are opening up and we can see in a little bit and we can see God and we can see Him in all His glory. Jesus is saying that He will reveal to us who God is and He will reveal to us who He is, not simply a man but the Son of God Himself. What happens in John chapter 11 reveals to us God and His Son. Now, the second reason Jesus delays, firstly, so he might reveal God's glory to us, but secondly, so that we might believe. That's what Jesus says in verse 15. Read it with me. Let's start in verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Why is Jesus glad? So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So, as Jesus reveals to us God's glory, as we we get a peek through those doors into heaven to see God, as we see Jesus for who He really is, Jesus expects that we'll believe in Him, that we will believe in Him. And so, Jesus waits two days. If Jesus had left straight away and healed Lazarus before Lazarus died, God's glory wouldn't be revealed in the same way. If Jesus had left straight away and healed Lazarus, then we might not have been convinced to believe in Jesus in the same way. And this is also why Jesus chooses to go back to Judea, even though people there are trying to kill him. He goes to reveal God's glory and so that people will believe in him. And it's it's quite an interesting little conversation Jesus has with his disciples at that point. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, let's go to Lazarus, let's go visit him, let's go see him now. And the disciples say, no, Lord, don't go. The people that are trying to kill you. But Jesus responds in verse 9 and 10. And let's read that together. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What does Jesus mean by this? Day, night, walking in the light, stumbling. Well, here he's saying that Jesus walks in the light of his Father's purposes. Jesus walks in the light of his Father's will. Jesus knows that he can only do what God has planned for him to do. Jesus knows he will not die a moment before God has planned it. And so Jesus is confident that he will not stumble in the dark, that he will not be killed by men in Judea, but rather he will go and he'll glorify his Father and he'll bring people to believe in him. And so it's worth pausing here for a second, because Jesus knows that nothing in this world can happen outside of God's plan. Nothing in this world, because God is sovereign. Even when the world seems like chaos, when things are crumbling down around us, when we're hurt, life is hard, everything goes wrong, our friends are dying, just like Jesus are, we are not living outside of God's purpose. We cannot live outside of God's purpose. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works for the good of all those who love Him, who live according to His purpose. That good, that good that He works in us, verse 29 tells us that it's to be transformed into the likeness of His Son. So even in all the bad things that may happen to us, God is using them to grow us to be more like Jesus. We are not outside of God's purpose, we are not outside of God's plan, God is transforming us. Now, what a great comfort that is. We can never be outside of God's will. But let's come back to John chapter 11. Everything Jesus does in this chapter has that same purpose, show God's glory, call us to believe. And so, as we go on, we we should expect to see God's glory and we should expect to be called to believe. And so, here is something we need to hear loud and clearly today. If you want to know God, If you want to know who He is and what He's like, if you want to see into heaven, then come to Jesus because Jesus shows us God. Jesus can show us God because Jesus is sent by God. It's because Jesus knows God and more importantly, Jesus Himself is God. Jesus can show us God because Jesus is God. Jesus reveals the Father because He is the Son of the Father. If you want to ask God what happens after this life, come to Jesus. He tells us. He knows because He is God, the Son of the Father. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about who Jesus is and what He says. And and a lot of those ideas don't work, they don't fit together. Some ideas are more accurate than others. So so my point is, don't, don't take anyone's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go to the record that we have of Jesus' words and these records, they're very good, they're very accurate. Go to the Bible for yourself and see what Jesus has to say. Go home tonight and read John chapter 11 for yourself and test to see if what I actually said was true or not. If you've never read the Bible before, if you've um, or maybe you've only read it as a, as a kid in like scripture class or Sunday school but never read it as an adult, I highly recommend that you take this book, John, that we're reading today and we've been reading for the last few weeks. Go home and, and go to chapter one and read the whole way through. It'll only take a couple of hours. It's, it's a short book. It's one of the accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. There's four of them. This is just one. And make up your own mind about Jesus. See if he really does reveal to us who God is. See if he really is a trustworthy person. Figure it out for yourself. Check it out. Make up your own mind. Who do you think Jesus really is? And I can almost guarantee that you'll be shocked and surprised by what he actually has to say and who he actually is. Jesus reveals to us his Father and calls us to believe in his Son. That's what we're doing today. That's what we want to see. That's where we're going to go. Let's keep moving. Jesus heads off down to the town of Bethany after the two days of waiting. And um, that's where Lazarus and his sisters live. So he's going to their hometown. And as Jesus gets close to the town, one of the sisters, Martha, she runs out to greet Jesus before he even gets there. And they have this really significant conversation. And we'll come back to it. It's really important that we go through it. But, but Jesus and Martha talk, and then Martha runs off and gets Mary. Mary comes out, and Mary has a talk with Jesus. And you may not have noticed, but actually Mary and Martha both say the exact same thing to Jesus when they meet him. It's there in verse 21 and in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But we already know that Jesus wasn't there because he chose not to be. Jesus wasn't there so he could reveal to Mary and Martha who he really is, so that they might believe in him. After talking to the two sisters, Jesus sees Mary mourning. And he sees all the Jews that have come to visit them, mourning. They're there weeping at Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus has these two reactions to it. And these two reactions might seem like they can't go together, they're polar opposites. But the Bible tells us these are his two reactions. The first is in verse 33. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It says he was deeply moved in spirit. But that's, that's actually not quite right. That translation's not quite strong enough. The, the word in the original Greek refers to kind of the sound a horse makes in frustration, that kind of snorting sound. I think you'd know it if you heard it. It's actually a word more about frustration and anger and outrage. So maybe it'd be better to say Jesus was outraged in his spirit and greatly troubled. You see, Jesus isn't just sympathetic here. He's outraged. Outraged at something. We'll come back to what it is that is outraged, but let's look at his second reaction. Jesus weeps. He weeps. Yes, he's angry, but he's still full of compassion, full of love, even at the same time. And one of the critiques people have, one of the things that people really struggle to understand about the Bible and about Christianity and about God, is how can a loving God be angry at people? There's no way. And so people come up with all these crazy ideas about how the Bible fits together with a God that can't be angry. But it's actually really simple to understand how anger and compassion Can fit together how Jesus might be angry and weeping at the same time all you have to do is go to any parent who's trying to feed their kid dinner that's what my wife's doing right now she's doing it by herself and like I feel for her right now because I can almost guarantee you that my wife Jess just really wants Sam to eat his food like he needs that food so he can have a good sleep so he can grow big and strong but if he spits out another mouthful of food and throws it across the living room, I don't know, I'm, I'm about to pop a vein just thinking about it. <laughs> that's compassion and anger at the same time. I love Sam with all my heart, but I can be angry at the way he behaves. I can be angry at him for what he's done. And that's the same with God. He loves us deeply, but he's angry at us because of our sin. And that's the same for Jesus. He is angered at something here, yet still filled with compassion. Jesus is outraged and moved to compassion at Lazarus's tomb. Why is Jesus so upset? What is it? Well, it can't be that Lazarus is dead because Jesus knows he's about to raise him back to life. So it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to be upset. Surely he'd just, boom, raise him. Nothing to be upset about. Jesus isn't upset at Lazarus's death. Is upset at death itself. You see, Jesus understands that death is not a natural part of life. Jesus knows that death is an intruder into this world. It broke into this world when sin broke into this world. You see, people are made to live, not to die. And so it's really important to understand that death is a great evil, and death is the enemy of man. It is an intruder into this world. It is not natural. It is unnatural, ugly, devastating. It's painful, destructive. And so Jesus is angered and saddened at death. He sees the destruction and the pain that it causes. But Jesus has a plan to defeat death once and for all. Jesus will fix this problem, take away our enemy, He will steal the sting of death. How? By raising the dead. By raising the dead so that they will never die again. To see how Jesus' plan works, we need to go back to that conversation that Jesus had with Martha. So we're going to skip back to the middle bit of this chapter. Remember the first words that came out of her mouth? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says this, but even as she says this, she still trusts in Jesus. She still knows Jesus has a special relationship with God the Father. But she doesn't expect that Jesus will bring Lazarus back to life. Because when Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again, she doesn't quite understand what he means. She says what any good Jewish person would say. She says, yeah, I know he'll be raised back to life on the last day in the resurrection. You see, Martha believed the Old Testament prophets when they said that one day, on the day of judgment, God will raise the dead back to life. But Martha misses one key thing. And this is the key to the whole passage. This is the key to God revealing His glory. This is the key to seeing who Jesus really is. And this is the key that should persuade us to believe in Him. It's in verse 25. How about we read it together? Verse 25 and 6. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Sweck, Bankstown? Martha believes in the resurrection, but the resurrection is standing right in front of her. He's standing right there, this is what Jesus wants to reveal to us. This is the little crack we see through the doors in heaven to God. God is the God who raises the dead. And he does it through his son, Jesus. All we need to do is believe in him. And the sting of physical death is gone. Yes, we will die. Physically. But we'll be raised physically. We will be raised Verse 26 takes this a step further, a step further than the Old Testament prophets ever said, a step further than Martha could ever imagine. Verse 26, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. They will never die. Well, how can that be? He just said that even though they die, they will live. Now he's saying they'll never die. Well, Jesus is talking about not physical resurrection, but spiritual resurrection, If we believe in Jesus, then we have already been raised from the dead. We have already been raised. Not physically, that comes in the future, but spiritually raised from the dead. Now, right at the moment we believe, we experience God's resurrection. Now, that is astonishing. That is astounding. It's almost unbelievable, right? It is unbelievable, right? Why should we take Jesus' word for it? Isn't it just his word versus the person who believes in reincarnation? Isn't it just Jesus' word versus atheist who says there's nothing else after this life? Well, no. Jesus puts his money where his mouth is and he proves that he will raise the dead. How? By raising the dead. I think that ought to do it, don't you think? If Jesus can raise the dead, then it shows that Jesus is the one to raise the dead. And so Jesus he's led to Lazarus's tomb and he stands outside the tomb and even though the body had been in there for 4 days there is no doubt in anyone's mind that Lazarus is dead not asleep not in a coma he's dead despite that Jesus stands out and calls out Lazarus come out and Lazarus does he gets up and walks out he's tripping over his burial clothes but he's alive and well. It's really interesting that John picks up on the burial clothes here. Jesus says, take the clothes off him. John comments on someone else's burial clothes. I don't know if you've ever noticed this but at Jesus' resurrection, John speaks about the burial clothes and so Lazarus, he comes out of the tomb, he's wrapped in his burial clothes because Lazarus has been raised back to mortal life. He is a mortal body, he awaits death again. It's actually more like he's been resuscitated, miraculously, supernaturally, but resuscitated. When Jesus is raised from the dead, the burial clothes are left in the tomb. They're gone, they're behind him. That face cloth that was hanging over Lazarus' face, well, Jesus neatly folds it and puts it in one end of the tomb. Jesus is not raised in a mortal body. He's raised in a glorious resurrection body, never to die again. Jesus is raised in a more glorious way. So if we put our trust in Jesus as our resurrection and our life, we are raised with Him at that moment to new spiritual life. And so when Jesus returns, we too will be raised to new physical life. You see, when we trust in Jesus, we're given that new spiritual life. We experience resurrection today, which means... If we have resurrection now, we can be confident of the one to come. If we have spiritual resurrection, we know we will be raised physically, yeah? But if we wait, if we don't have spiritual resurrection now, our life will be gone. It'll be too late. There's no resurrection, there's no securing your resurrection after you die. You have to deal with Jesus now, on this side of the grave. Uncertainty about this life and uncertainty about the next life actually drives people to live for this life now. They don't know what comes next, so they put all their eggs in this basket. Some people focus on their retirement. If I work 30, 40 hard years or even more, then I can save up enough and have a comfortable retirement. And, humanly speaking, they're playing the long game, yeah? They're being smart and wise with their money now, they'll enjoy themselves later. But when you consider resurrection, it is severely short-sighted. Don't live for retirement at the end of this life. Live for the entirety of the next. Others will try and squeeze every moment, every experience that they can out of this life. And I think this is the temptation, particularly of 18 to 30 year olds, young adults who um, have the freedom to experience as much of this world as they can. There's this cycle and I've seen it in a bunch of people. Friends, family, they, they go through the same thing. They, they work for 12 months, 18 months, however much it is. They save up enough money to experience the next thing, the next concert tour or the next travel trip overseas or the next, I don't know, whatever it is. And they enjoy themselves and it's a wonderful experience and then it's done and they have no money and they go back to work and they do it again. Save up, experience, out of money. Back, work, experience, out of money. And that's their life. I hope you can see that that's even more short-sighted. They live for experiencing life now and they forsake experiencing the one to come. Others are a bit more altruistic than the first two. They live to provide the best life for their families now. They want to put their kids in a good school. They save up for a house in a nice neighbourhood where you can kind of ride your bikes around the streets without any dramas. But what's best for your family isn't a good education. What's best for your family isn't a nice, quiet cul-de-sac. It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing Him as your resurrection and life. Did you catch what Thomas said in verse 16? After Jesus had told them that Lazarus is dead and says, we're going to Bethany... Jesus, sorry, Thomas says, verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas doesn't really quite realize how well he spoke there. He doesn't realize how true his words are. Because to be raised to life, we must first die. We must first die. Die to our old selves. Die to our old motivations and our old desires, die to this world and what this world loves. And so we no longer live for retirement or for experience or for our families. We live for the next world. we put our eggs in that basket, which means we don't actually need a bigger paycheck. We don't need that fourth bedroom. We don't need that new experience. What we need is Jesus. What we need is to secure our resurrection now. We need to die to our old self and begin a new spiritual life. We need to play the long game that doesn't look at our 70, 80 years, but looks into eternity. Jesus reveals to us that He is God, that He is the God of life. He reveals to us that He will raise the dead and that He is our only hope for that resurrection. Will you believe in Jesus today? Will you live that new raised life? Or will you live for now, forsaking the one to come. I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you that you have, through your son Jesus today, revealed your glory. You are the God who raises the dead. Help us to believe that. Help us to understand that your son raises us back to life. Help us to believe in Jesus when he claims to be the resurrection and life. And help us to live our new lives now Help us to live for eternity, not for this life, not for this world, not for these momentary pleasures, but for the life to come. Amen.